I would like to I'd like to start off by uh, by a definition defining something I'd like to make a distinction in what we usually call Torah Shabbat Peh by Torah Shabbat Peh there's the written law or the written Torah and the oral Torah but the oral Torah for the sake of uh, this uh, our discussion tonight the oral Torah is divided into two there's the oral Torah which comes along with the written Torah. Right? Torah Shabbat Shel Torah Shabbat. What I mean is that if the Torah says that everybody should put on tefillin, totafot, those words. So if you teach the Pasuk, you have to explain what tefillin are. So when Moshe Rabbeinu taught that Pasuk, he had to say, Something, I mean, here's a pair of tefillin, or let's make a pair of tefillin, or I'll show you what a pair of tefillin uh, look like. I mean, he probably didn't have a slideshow generated by Google to show you. But even today, that would be the Torah Shabbat Peh of the Torah Shabbat. Now, there's another Torah Shabbat Peh. There's another Torah Shabbat Peh which the Rambam refers to in the following way. There are things that the Chachamim learned from the Yud Gimel Midot, right? These thirteen um, exegetical, exegetic Herm- principles. Hermeneutic. What? Hermeneutic, Hermeneutic rules, <laughs> right? Hermeneutic rules. It's good. You'll get to learn a word that way. Right? <laughs> yeah, you get a word. The, the, these rules produce halachot, and the impression is that before you applied the Chachamim, applied these rules, they didn't exist. They, they kind of either discovered them or invented them, whichever word is less oppressive you should use, right? The Chachamim, the Anshei Knesset HaGdola, the Sanhedrin, they were able to derive halachot that Moshe Rabbeinu did not teach B'nai Yisrael, but they were either renewed, new, dug up. Uh, so that's a different kind of Torah Shabbat Peh. Now that Torah Shabbat Peh, Torah Shabbat Peh number two, includes what the, what the Gemara calls Takanot and Siagim and Gizerot. Right? There are all kinds of things where the Gemara says uh, we have to protect a mitzvah. So we'll build a fence around it. We'll make... We would call that today a chumrah. You make a chumrah in order to protect the essential mitzvah. So those chumrot and siyagim and takanot also come from these special groups of people. Right? The Ajay Knesset Agdullah, the Sanhedrin, uh, the tradition from Moshe to Yoshua to the Nevi'im, etc. So when we say Torah Shaval Peh, we're talking about two things. Here in this Sheyur, you can do whatever you want. But when I say Torah what I mean is we have to distinguish between the necessary Torah the oral tradition that Moshe Rabbeinu had to teach in order that the Psukim should be understood, and alternatively, right, not the Torah but there's the invented Torah, some of the re- uh, reconstituted Torah, restructured Torah, 
the add-on Torah, which is also the Torah Shabbat Peh of the Mishnah and the Gemara and the Gaonim and the Rishonim, all the people who were involved until this very day. Until this very day. So when we keep the rules of the Shulchan Aruch, there's a theological problem. I mean, whose rules are we keeping? Are we keeping God's rules? Or are we keeping man's rules? Man-made, also woman-made. Man or woman-made rules. Or are we keeping God's rules? This problem, to a certain extent, I'm encapsulating this matter. But this this was dealt with by the Maharalmi Prague in a book that he wrote called Be'er Hagola. Be'er Hagola. In that book he claims that if you look very carefully at all the takanot that the Chachamim made, and he makes, a, he brings as an example, Nitilat Yadayim, before you eat bread. Right, you know that we do Nitilat Yadayim before we eat bread, and the reason that we do it is that we should not forget Hilchot Tum'ah Vitara. This is like a a large set of halachot that basically do not exist today. Right? We don't really follow them uh, as the halacha. So it's it's all theoretical. If you learn, learn the Mishnayot of Taharot, it's kind of pretty theoretical. Now the question about the Tilat Yadayim is this. How could the Tilat Yadayim, before you eat bread, possibly serve as a reminder for all of the halachot of Tum'ah v'tara. After all, the basic assumption of Hilchot Tum'ah v'tara is that either you are or you aren't. What I, what I mean is, either you, the person, is Tameh, in which case the person can become Tahor if he does something to his entire self. But we never heard of of this that that you could have tumat yadayim that only your hands are tamei and that by washing them only your hands become tahor that's that's a like an idea that is very hard to accommodate with so, so how could you say I'm doing this in order to remember the halachot of tumat v'tara when it seems to be opposed to tumat v'tara with the, the the regular halachot doesn't make any sense or doesn't make much sense so the Maharal says and this is I'll just end at this point the Maharal says that if you look carefully you will find a biblical source for all the takanot de Rabbanan that's what that's what the Maharal's idea is and this idea is expanded upon in later years by a variety of expanders by a variety of thoughtful uh, uh, thoughtful people. So I say again, when we do the Torah Shabbat Peh, I mean, this is a question that you could ask. We do Torah Shabbat Peh, as you follow the Takanot of the Chachamim, the Gzeirot, the Takanot, the, the Siagim, and the Yud Gimel Midot, what are we doing? Are we doing what God wants of us? Or are we doing, are we doing what we want of us? Like we, we invented it. So if you take the line of the Maharal, if you take the line of the Maharal, it would turn out that if you look really carefully at all of these add-ons to the Torah, Siagim, Takanot, uh, you know, Zerot, 
if you, according to the Rambam, if you take all of that stuff, right, you, and you look at it really carefully, you should be able to find a biblical source. It was though it was hidden in the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't explain it to us. But when the time came and the need arose to have these add-ons to the Torah, the Chachamim realized it. And they, they were able, they were able to apply their understanding to the reality and produce, uh, more Torah, actually. More Torah. So the Torah is given at Har Sinai, and then it's taught to B'nai Israel during the 40 years of the 38 years in the desert. And then the Torah is further, is further, uh, uh, taught to us, uh, again and again, in, uh, in later, you know, as we go along, as we go along in history. So, there are two psukim that we have to consider. I've, I've finished. I've, <laughs> I mean, I'm not finished. We could go on with this very long time, but we're not going to. We're going to learn something about the parasha. So, there are two psukim that we have to address. The first pasuk is the last pasuk in the parasha of Naso. Last week's parashat is the first thing on the sheet. To speak to God. In other words, there's a very careful description of Moshe Rabbeinu going in into the Ohel Mo'ed to learn the Torah. You know that after the Torah was given to B'nai Yisrael, the Luchot were given the second time, right? The date, according to Rashi, and we can figure it out, but according to Rashi, it was on Yom HaKippurim of the second year that Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain, right? Remember Vav Sivan, which has just passed, you might have noticed. Vav Sivan, was the day of Matan Torah. But it's a misnomer. The Torah was not given to B'nai Yisrael on Vav Sivan. On Vav Sivan, there was the revelation. God, Moshe Rabbeinu, B'nai Yisrael. And they all had a revelation simultaneously. What was revealed to them? What was revealed to Moshe, B'nai Yisrael, uh, Aaron, Yolivim? What was revealed to them on Bab Sivan? That Hashem gives Torah. That was what was revealed to them. How much Torah did God give them at that point in order to drive this home that God gives Torah to B'nai Yisrael, how much? So the Chachamim say, Chazal say, it was the first two Dibrot of Aserita Dibrot. The first two Dibrot of Aserita Dibrot, not so much. Not so much Torah. Very little. Then Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain and he gave them, he learned with them, Aserita Dibrot. That's the end of the parasha of Yitro. The parasha of Mishpatim, more Torah. Okay, we don't know exactly when Mishpatim came, but well, let's include it. 
in the Torah that Bnei Yisrael learned at Har Sinai. Then Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Har Sinai 40 days and 40 nights and came down and broke the Luchot. Yes? Are you with me? Yeah. Then he spent 40 days in the Machaneh, right, cleaning things up because it was a real mess. Then God told Moshe Rabbeinu to go up on the mountain again 40 days and 40 nights. And what did Moshe Rabbeinu come down with the second time? The Luchot. The Luchot. The Luchot, a Brit that B'nai Yisrael had already studied and learned. They don't, so they received, they didn't receive new Torah, but what they received was new Luchot. The Luchot had a special importance on their own, because the Torah that was written in the Luchot was already known to them. So there's a side question that you could ask that's not really answered so well in the Torah, but maybe it is. And that is, what did Moshe Rabbeinu do at Harsinai the second time? I mean, okay, I mean, he wasn't eating, he wasn't sleeping, but what was he doing? What was it? So, so I think that the most convenient answer is that he learned the eternal Torah. And the eternal Torah is the, are the mitzvot of the Torah. He learned the mitzvot of the Torah, he learned the Torah Shabal Peh of the mitzvot of the Torah. Is that, uh, in other words, he learned what Lotig Nova is, what Lotir Tzach is, what he learned, he learned what it is. That took him the 40 days and the 40 nights. So when he came back down the mountain with Yom Kippur, he said to B'nai Yisrael, here are the Luchot. But they knew the Aseret that they broke. What they got was, what B'nai Yisrael got, not Moshe Rabbeinu, but what B'nai Yisrael got was replacement Luchot. Replacement Luchot. The Torah, that they received on the Luchot was exactly the same as what they had already received. And so the first thing that Moshe Rabbeinu said to B'nai Yisrael was, build a Mishkan. And they did. They built a Mishkan from Yom Kippurim until Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Yom Kippurim to Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Like, you know, like we live that way. From Sukkot until Pesach, until, you know, that's how we live. So, at that time, when the Mishkan was built, it's, this Pasuk applies. Because what happened? What was the Mishkan? The Mishkan had two purposes, apparently. One purpose was as the center of Avodah. The, the service of God was centered around the Mishkan. But there was another thing, and that was the Torah. The Torah, so when did B'nai Yisrael learn the Torah? They learned it during the 38 years that they were wandering around in the desert after the parasha of Shlach, right? We're up to Baalotcha. Shlach. Shlach was the parasha of the Meraglim. In the parasha of the Meraglim, B'nai Yisrael used to go to Eretz Yisrael. Their punishment was 38 years wandering around in the desert. During those 38 years, this Pasuk, now we, we see why I did this. This pasuk was taking place. I'm sorry, to speak to God. Or God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu. Those of you who have an interest in such things, the Rishonim already say that this is a hitpa'el. Hitpa'el is usually the binyan where you do it to yourself. Hitlabesh, I dress myself. It's the pair. I took a haircut. Right, you do it. What? Reflexive. And it's reflexive. But that's not only 
the only kind of reflexive that there is in Hebrew, but it's reflexive. What's the kaporet? Kaporet is the name of the cover to the Aron Kodesh. The Aron Kodesh was a box, but it didn't open in the front or in the side. It opened at the top. You took the top off and you could put things in. And then you put the top on again and the top was made. There was a gold border around it. It was special. The top was special. So God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu, Me'al HaKaporet, Asher Aron HaIdut, the Kaporet which was placed on top of the Aron HaIdut which we call Aron HaKodesh. Right? Mibain Shnea Kruvim. On the Kaporet were these two Kruvim. What exactly they looked like, Vesasnit. But there are different opinions. And why they were there, also I'm not sure about. But there are different opinions. But we know that the Kruvim appeared. That Kruvim appeared, the Parashiot of Truman Tetzave. And then again in Vayakal and And then again in the, in the Nevi'im and in Divra Yamim. When Shlomo HaMelech built the Beit HaMikdash, so these were very important. Uh, so there's the Kaporet, which is on the Aron HaIdut, So Moshe Rabbeinu heard the voice of God, and that was, and what did the voice of God tell him? Well, generally, the voice of God told Moshe Rabbeinu the next parasha in the Torah that he was supposed to teach the B'nai Israel. So how this is how it was that during the 38 years of the desert, that's Bamidbar, and you come to the book of Dvarim, which is Arvot Moab. Arvot Moab is exactly opposite, more, well, not exactly, more or less opposite Yericho. Arvot Moab is on the eastern side of the Jordan, Yericho is on the western side of the, of the Jordan River. And so they entered Eretz Yisrael from Arvot Moab, and Arvot Moab was about where Moshe Rabbeinu made his last speeches, and besides the last speeches that Moshe Rabbeinu made to B'nai Yisrael, there was also the Sefer Torah which was completed. Completed on the day that Moshe Rabbeinu died. That Sefer Torah was only completed, it was completed that because they didn't have it before. They had 90%, 95%. But the end of the Torah, Mamash the end, was completed on the day that Moshe Rabbeinu died. In fact, there's a machloket in the Gemara about the last ten sukim, about which described the death of Moshe Rabbeinu himself, and it's not clear who wrote those ten sukim. Could Moshe Rabbeinu have done it? In other words, it's prehistory, or like antedating reality somehow. Could that be? Or must it have been somebody else like Yoshua Binun who was privy to that prophecy? The prophecy of the last ten sukim would start with the words Vayal Moshe. Moshe went up to his death. <clears throat> so Moshe Rabbeinu heard the Torah as far as I can tell. That's where the Torah was given to B'nai Israel in its final form. It may be that like Rashi says that B'nai Yisrael knew the Torah, knew the Torah from Breshit, Bara Elohim, until Matan Torah, before Matan Torah. That's what Rashi says. Now I don't know. I don't know what that means. 
you know, what, what do we need? They knew the Torah. Did they know the stories in an approximate way? Or did they know the Nusach? I mean, did they have the, the same kind of word-to-word uh, uh, Torah that we have, that we have now? Maybe it doesn't make any difference because there are no mitzvot. Oh, I can't say no. But there are hardly any mitzvot in the Torah of Breshit until Matan Torah. There are a couple, right? Piriyah Yah, that one mitzvah in the Pasha of Breshit, Gira Nashe, another, another mitzvah that we don't eat the, the Gira Nashe, and Chodesh uh, of course, the, the idea of Rosh Chodesh, which takes place in the Pasha of Bo. But we also know that the Gemara says that the mitzvot were not obligatory, no mitzvot were obligatory until Har Sinai. So even if they knew the mitzvot, like we say, the Avot knew the Tariyad mitzvot, they knew all the mitzvot. But that doesn't mean that they were commanded to keep the mitzvot. They kept the mitzvot because they intuited that it was a good thing. It was a good thing for them to do, so they did it. But there was no tzivui, except for, of course, Brit Milah is the exception. You know, so none of these theories work out perfectly, but I hope you get the idea. So this pasuk, the first, the last pasuk in the parasha of Naso, tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah in the, from the Olamoet somehow, from God, and then that Nusach that he received in prophecy was transmitted was transmitted to B'nai Yisrael section by section by section. Right? There's a... Uh, there's a machlok in the Gemara about whether Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the Torah piece by piece by piece or he wrote the Torah at the end of 40 years altogether. But everybody agrees. Everybody agrees that machlok is not relevant. Everybody agrees that they will B'nai Yisrael learned the Torah piece by piece by piece during the 38 years of wandering around in the desert. And as I told you, there's some other ideas, right? The Breshit, what was Breshit? Did they know Breshit? Where does Mishpatim fit in? I can't answer all those questions, even though I have, I have thoughts about them. So, and this Pasuk, and this Pasuk, Rashi says, Rashi says, Everybody knows this Rashi, but it's very, it's very interesting nonetheless. Rashi says, based on the, on the Gemara, this is a quote. This is a direct quote. He says, there are two psukim, ktuvim, a psukim. Machishim that contradict each other. Vashlishi A whole comes to the third pasuk and explains to us how it really happened. That's what it means here. Katuvichad Omer is a pasuk at the beginning of Ayikra. By the Hashem, a love may ohel moed. That God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu from Oel Moed. Oel Moed is the, the central building of the Mishkan. Right? The Oel Moed. So he says, Vehu chutz parochet. Now in, the, in this building called the Oel Moed, there was a parochet, a curtain, that separated the Kodesh from the Kodesh Kodeshit. What was in the Kodesh? The Shulchan, the Menorah, right, the steps, and the little Kalim, and the Mizbach Torah, right, the Mizbach, Mizbeach, 
the golden altar on which they gave the Torah the uh, you know our incense the incense offering that's the Torah then there was a curtain and the other side of the curtain was the Aron HaKodesh the Aron HaKodesh Kaporet Kruvim right the Kaporet the Kruvim and the other side of the curtain the other side of the curtain is the Aron Aron HaKodesh so according to this Pasuk at the beginning of Vayikra the the, the, the Medrash says that if the Pasuk says that God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu from the from the uh, this tent that's Chutzla Parochet on the other side of the Parochet means the side of the Parochet that has the Menorah and the Mizbeach HaKtoret in it and Pasuk another Pasuk the other Pasuk says, I will speak to you from the Kaporet. The Kaporet is on the other side of the curtain, right? The Kodesh Kadashim side. So it would seem that there's a difference in these two Pasukim. One Pasuk says that God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu, that God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu on the less impressive side of the Oel Moed. And the other Pasuk says that God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu from the Kaporet. Moshe Rabbeinu had to probably go in to the place where nobody went except the Kohen Gadol and Yom HaKippurim. He went in there and he heard the next teaching of the Torah. So then he says, uh, Ba-zeh. So this is the third Pasuk. The Pasuk we're learning. Bechriya Ben-Nehemen determined what really happened. Moshe Ba'al-Ol Mo'ed V'sham Shemayat HaKol Habam Ni'ala Kaporet. That this third pasuk, this third pasuk kind of resolves the question. Moshe Rabbeinu came into the Old Moed and he heard God speaking, Where was he? He was outside of that curtain of the parochet. But he heard God speaking from the kaporet. Okay, um, it's not so easy to understand in Parshanut why the Torah had to create confusion and then solve the confusion. Why couldn't it just solve the confusion straight away and tell us, tell us what happened? But Rashi does not deal with that, right? Then he goes on and says, he Rashi says, Rashi. So, so the voice came down from heaven into the two Kruvim, but the two Kruvim is there, and then you hear the voice coming on the other side of the curtain where Moshe Rabbeinu was standing. So what is it that Rashi's emphasizing here? Right? I mean, after all, he didn't explain anything. It says in the Pasuk, And what does Rashi say? That's how the voice came down from heaven. In other words, what Rashi is saying is that this is a continuation of Matan Torah. Because at Matan Torah you knew. What did you know? That it was God. Matan Torah, everybody knew that it was God. They didn't have any doubt. So Rashi says this continuation of Matan Torah, even though the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, which you could misunderstand as thinking means that somehow the voice came from the Arona Kodesh. 
That, that's where it originated. That was a, like a, like a, you know, a, a thing player, a player. What, what do you call that? The, an iPad, an iPod, <laughs> an i something. It's aimed like the Iron Kodesh, and it's playing divine messages. No. Because whoever heard it knew that it was Midashamayim. At least that's what Rashi is saying. Rashi is telling us that. Don't make the mistake of thinking that because it says the Veda Pruvim, that it was clear that that's where the voice originated. But where did the voice originate? Bashamayim. Just like, just like Matantara. I know that we showed him, if you look at the Veda Bachaya on this, on this Pasuk, he also like very expansively discusses this, this matter. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu heard the voice. Yachol called Amuch. Maybe he was very quiet. Talmud Lomar et Ha called Ha. It's just like uh, uh, something, something unique, right? Ha is a definite article. Definite article means it's not a voice, but it's the voice. How could it be the voice? The Rashi answers, and he says, Wakol Shidivar Imo. Nobody else could hear it. So it's both from heaven and miraculous, which is exactly how it was at Har Sinai. Exactly how it was at Har Sinai. This is, this is Rashi. So Rashi says that Rashi emphasizes the fact Besides this story about the two psukim contradicting each other, that the third pasuk, why you needed a contradiction and why you needed a third pasuk, Rashi doesn't explain. Rashi doesn't mean, Rashi's not like that. Rashi doesn't second guess Chazal. When Rashi quotes a Chazal, that's the end of the story. Right? And he usually, a quote you could say, I mean, not that we know, certainly I don't know, but you could say that Rashi was like a great teacher. And when he quotes Chazal, and, and, and he brings up an issue, he, he wants you to think about it, right? He wants you to kind of think about the issue and what it means. He doesn't feel that he has to explain everything. You can see also in the Gemara, when, like if you learn the, the, the Gemara, uh, the Gemara that is, uh, that the Rashbam, his, uh, his grandson, uh, wrote commentaries are they much more expansive and answers questions and gives answers whereas Rashi is very much to the point very to the point this is what it means you have a question see me on Tuesday afternoon you know like that kind of thing Rashi doesn't feel compelled but he has here he feels the need to kind of vary uh, uh, your understanding of these psukim you can't take them at face value that's what that's what he says now Midaber, uh, mit daber, right? It's it's a hit ba'el, right? We would say the moderns would say that the t and the d, because they are like said in the same way. In other words, they, the same part of the mouth is used to say t and d, right? You, I mean, I could ask Sarala, but do uh, you agree with me? Don't you? She's the expert in the family on things like that. So, what happens when you have two letters next to each other that are pronounced in the same way, even though they are somewhat differentiated, the likelihood that one of them, especially the one that is not 
what we call the Shoresh, which I, I ask forgiveness for using that word because it's not good. It's misleading. So when one of those two letters is not one of the Shoresh, it tends to disappear. It tends to disappear. It's very hard to pronounce. Mit Daber. So instead of hard, we do easy. And we say Mit Daber. And then, you know, the, the kind of, those kind of people who want to uh, save the language from the people who speak it, so they are very intent on getting the Dagesh, you know, noticed in, uh, in Shul when they lay on Shabbos. So that means that God speaks with a Havaras Farabit. I know you didn't mean that, but it's a good question. You know, there's, there's a good question in there, you know. It's like God is tacky, is talking Torah. Not exactly talking to Moshe Rabbeinu, but he's talking Torah. Uh, another proof, another proof that the making of the Torah is not is not perfectly clear, is that it's unreasonable to think. That when Moshe Rabbeinu was at Har Sinai, not unreasonable, I mean, one could ponder. When Moshe Rabbeinu was at Har Sinai for 40 days, 40 nights, the second time, for all those psukim which read by Yedabeh Hashem al Moshe Lemor, like, how could they fit in to Moshe Rabbeinu standing before God at Har Sinai? So either you have to say there's a finished Torah, which Moshe Rabbeinu received, which is hard to say because what about Bilam? And what about God? What about all those conversations that were created in the desert. Okay, I keep saying it again and again, but believe me, it's difficult. Now, here's the Ibn Ezra. We'll we'll try to move a little more quickly, actually, a lot more quickly. He says that the first pasuk in Vayikra, which is Vayikra Moshe, also took place when they finished Chanukat HaMizbeach. They finished the Chanukat HaMizbeach, we remember from last Shabbos, in Shul, you know, they said, B'yom HaShayni, B'yom HaShlishi, B'yom HaVi, little tiresome. And that was about the Korbanot that were brought by the Nesiyim for Chanukat HaMizbeach, so that this pasuk in the beginning of Vayikra, Vayikra Moshe, Great. That's Rashi. Except he tells you it's called Abedaktakim. The Ibn Ezra knew the Medaktakim very well. Rashi also knew the Medaktakim pretty well. Right? And you know that he quotes very often. Menachem ben Saruk, which was a, which is a, a, a little street in Rechavia, not far, but it's also the name of a person. And Menachem ben Saruk wrote a dictionary called a dictionary of the Bible called Machberet Menachem. That's what's called. And Rashi had it on his desk, so to speak. And he looked at it and he quoted it. He quoted it uh, whatever he felt you know he needed it to explain. To explain a word, and uh, of course, the Machperet Benachem was based on current, the current knowledge of uh, of grammar, which primarily originated in Spain, 
because the Arabs were very, very into grammar. Very into grammar because they they felt that I mean now I'm going to psychologize. I'll mm-hmm. tell you what I think, but you know even though it's what I think, it might be correct. The Arabs thought that the Quran was the most perfectly written Arabic text, and to prove that, they would wax uh, um, I don't know uh, happily about the fact that the rules of grammar that derive from the Quran are generally maintained. Whereas you know that in the Tanakh that's not the case. The rules of grammar very often are abrogated. Right? They are, they are exceptions. You ever, if you ever went to a, a class in Hebrew, or you know, an Ulpan class, or this concept called Yotzei Min HaKlal, which soon becomes Yotzim, and that means I don't know that's what it means the question is obvious how come it's this way here and it's that way there so the teachers have protected themselves valiantly and instead of saying I don't know they say as though this idea of is reasonable why are they they shouldn't be so in any event, listen to the to the uh, to the Ibn Ezra. Vayishma shehu levado yeshomei akol v'lo yishmedu mishu ba'or moed michutz laparoch. Only Moshe Rabbeinu heard it, and not others. Kamzenachon. I agree with that. Ki Hashem osif v'agashat aznav kasher osif ba'or einai naar anisha. Because God made Moshe Rabbeinu's ears extremely sensitive for that. That purpose. And Moshe Rabbeinu was able to hear what no one else was able to hear. Right? He had not just two hearing aids, but he had six hearing aids in each ear. And that's what, that's what Vayishma, right? I'm sorry. Vayishma ta'komidaber elav. That's, that's what it says. Okay? Now there's another pasuk. That's the pasuk. We just learned the pasuk at the end of the parashat Naso. Now let's look at the first pasuk in the beginning of the parasha of Balotcha. That pasuk says, Not this one, but the one coming up. Remember that pasuk? We always, always comes up Hanukkah time. When you light up the candles, Yairu, Shivatan, it's kind of redundant, right? When you light the candles, Yairu, Shivataniro. And then there's this phrase, El Mulpadeya Menorah, which is not easily understood. Facing the face of the menorah. Right? How do you face how do the candles face the menorah? So Rashi says that question in Rashi, which is taken from Chazal, Lama Nisvicha, why is A connected to B? Why does A or B lean on A? Why does one follow the other? That question is only asked when there is an answer. It's never asked when Chazal don't answer. Because it's not a question. It's not a question up to the parashah. 
The parashan, according to Rashi, could never know the answer to that question. Only Chazal know the answer. And therefore Rashi asked the question when Chazal asked the question. He doesn't ask the question, stop. So Rashi says, Love the is the end of not so. Right? And the menorah is parsha is parshat balotcha. The vikshir Aaron chamukata nesiim chalshadato. Famous Rashi that Aaron saw that they were bringing korbanot the nesiim, so he fainted. You know he was like upset. Shelo yai mahem chamukah velo hu velo shivto amalo akodesh boch chayecha shalchag dolabi shalahem. There are there. There's all these questions about this Rashi, but what Rashi says is that that story B about Balot Chatanirot is intimately connected to story A. You know, how come? How come now? All of a sudden, the Torah is talking to Aaron and telling him to light the candles. Is this the time to do that question? So the answer is no. But it was extraordinary. It was something that happened that Aaron thought that the Nesim had one-upped him because they all brought Karbanot for Chanukat HaMizbech and he didn't. His Shevet, the Shevet of Levi did not bring a Korban. So God said to him, ah, you're better than they are. They just bring Chanukat HaMizbech. It could be once in, the, in, in eternity. Of course there was, a, there was a Korban but there didn't have to be a Korban. Had there not been a Korban this would have been a one-time event. But the Menorah Aaron Akoin lit the menorah every single night. And it burnt every night until morning. Right? says, that's really something. Right? That's really something. Ba'alotcha. Al-shem she'alav oleh. Ba'alotcha. He says that the, the, the fire, it's, we, we use this verb. That's why they would say ba'adlikacha. When you light up the candle. Why do you say ba'alotcha? You bring it up. So this is important. Rashi says, Ketuba Bahad Lakatan, Lishon Aliyah, Shetzarich Ladlik, Ad Shetei Shalhevet Olam Be'eleha. That somehow this is the proper verb to use because when you light a candle, in the beginning the light is, is quite small. Even in modern day candles, right? They get a candle and there's a wick. They put a little wax on the wick. So what you do is you light the wick and burn down the wax until it can fire up the candle itself and then the fire gets bigger. So that's why the verb to use for lighting a candle in Hebrew is beha'alotcha. Uh, okay. Now, el mu menorah, we understand, is problematic. El mu elaguf shel menorah. So, the menorah had seven, seven candles, right? Three on each side, and one in the middle. And each candle held, each, well I say candle, but I mean it was a cup of oil. There was a cup of oil, you filled it with oil, and then there was a ptila. There was a wick, right? So now, if you have a cup, and the cup's full of oil, you have a wick, you can put the wick any place, 360 degrees in the cup, right? So what they did was, they put the wick so that it faced the middle candle. So the three candles on one side faced this way, and the three candles on the other side faced that way, and that was called Mul Pnei Amenorah. Now why did they do that? 
Why they do that? Don't know. Rashi doesn't explain. Right? Rashi doesn't explain. Yehu shivat anirot shisha shal shisha takadim shlosha ha mizrachiyim ponim mula emtzai aptilot shevahen vechen shlosha maraviim rashi aptilot mula emtzai v'lama kedei shelo yomru laorah utzari. So apparently Rashi says that this was the most inefficient way to garner the light. That if you wanted to use the candle for light, I mean, after all, Rashi knew about that. That's how they did it. They used candles. You would have put the wicks further away from each other, not all squashed in in the same place. Because squashed in in the same place, they give less light. But you know that one of the big questions that you could ask about the menorah is what was the menorah exactly for? Because the menorah was lit at night until morning. And between the night and the morning, there was no, no one in the Beit HaMikdash. When, when Aaron finished, you know, lighting the menorah at night, he left. And then there was nobody. There was nobody there. So that's the, so he says, he says, well, that was in order to make sure that it doesn't light up too much. It seems to be odd. Why would you, give a mitzvah, why would the mitzvah be like the candles, but the execution of the mitzvah would be poorly, executed poorly, so there shouldn't be too much light. If you shouldn't have too much light, why light the candles? Ah, okay. So now we'll look at the Ramban. See the Ramban? Rabbi Abraham Omer ki nismecha zota parasha lo'odiyah In other words, he's asking Rashi's question. What's the connection between the Nisiyim and Balot Chatan Neirot? So he says, Rabbi Avraham, Makinis Vichazot Aparashalo, Diake Adibur, Yeye Gambalayla. Kisham Aya Aner Daluk, Velo Yechbet. So according to the Ibn Ezra, which he quotes, which is not on the sheet, the, this particular statement is not on the sheet, the Ibn Ezra said that the whole point was that Moshe Rabbeinu should be able to receive information from God at night as well. At night as well. And he says, the Rabban says, Vzeinenu kacha, al-dad rabotainu, have told the chachamim told us, shamru, alo lo nidbar imo ela bayon. Ve'ilu yada rabbi Avram ma bein nivuat Moshe l'nivuat shara nabiyim, lo chashav king. It says, not only is Ibn Ezra wrong, in fact, according to Chazal, who said that, they, that God did not speak to Moshe Rabbeinu at night, Right? But if, if, even as we thought for a minute of the difference between the nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu and the nevuah of, of the rest of the, uh, of the Nevi'im, which was that Moshe Rabbeinu definitely received his nevuah during the day, during the light, because he was able to. He had that level of prophecy that enabled him to be a prophet in the daylight, which was no other prophet was like that. All the other prophets dreamt dreams. Uh, they they fell like in a kind of trance before they before they prophesied. Only Moshe Rabbeinu. So why would he say? Why would he say that it was Balayla? And then he goes on and says, "Ve'eno yodei Rabbi Avraham ma'ben nevuat Moshe le'nevuat sh'ar nevi'im lo chashav kein u'mashamar katuv." That's 
that Moshe Rabbeinu, that, that who, who dreams in the dark? The lesser prophets, the ones who are not like Moshe Rabbeinu. But Moshe Rabbeinu, the day, daylight, that's his time. His time is when the light, so again, we come back to the, to the Rabban, to the question of why you need the menorah. Why you need the menorah. Look, I know that I'm talking too fast, but I can't help it. I mean, I won't be able to get to the way we have to get to. So that's what that's what it says. Avala sidu be parshiyota eilahu kashepi rashti kibaka tu be sefer azela shlim tarata korbanot v'kolav v'chuyav lasot ba'ol moed that there are things in the book of Bamidbar which complete the book of Ayikra. V'nei amar mitchila. So the Rabban says, you have to remember that there is a distinction that most people seem to ignore that there are two places in the Torah where this mitzvah of the menorah discussed. But in one of the places, it refers to only the ner tamid, a ner, a light, a single light. In the other place, it talks about the menorah, right, that had seven kanim, shisha v'odechad ba'emtza. And he said, uh, again, uh, the fourth wide line, Ella Bikan Kasher Ishlim Maskira Kamata Mishkan Ishlim Od Kol Dineha Nerot Vitsivashet Yushivata Nerot Kuladokot Lidorot El Mupnea Mendora Kasher Iskim Vimase Amenora Ela Et Neroteha Veir Al Ever Paneha Velo Bilti Amenora Lo Bilti Shia Irukulam and Ever Paneha. So there is this some kind of a distinction that's made between the menorah and the ner. Right? There's a menorah and there's a ner. And the Ramban says, if something happens to the menorah and the ner breaks, and the menorah breaks, you can't use it, you have to put up a ner until you get another menorah. There always has to be a ner. There always has to be a ner so that the menorah, the menorah represents the ner plus el pene a menorah looking in a certain direction. That that uh, or okay, we'll skip the chitzkuni for now, and we'll go and we'll look at the other side. We'll look at the pre-tzaddik. Pre-tzaddik was a chesidish rebbe, right? Chesidish rebbe who lived in where did he live? Lublin. Yeah, fair. His name was Rabbi Novich. If you want to invite his relatives to your bar mitzvah parties, <laughs> that was his name. He was extremely prolific. And very, very interesting and uh, novel. He had novel way of thinking about things. Uh, this is partially because there were no Hasidim to bother him. The Hasidim didn't bother him, so he was able to sit and write the great Torah for his entire life. Listen to this. I will get some of it. We'll get to some of it. We say, Pirish Rashi Misifri, Sheyekulam. That all the candles are looking towards the middle. If in fact 
It's the six candles that are looking at the one candle in the middle. So what? Why does the Pasuk say, Yair Sheshet HaNeirot? Because it's only about the Sheshet they wrote that we really, we really have something to say. These are the Fizet Shetlavim. The Havalei Lomar Yair Sheshet HaNeirot. The others asked this question previously. As Rashi says, Rashi says a few sukkibah, also not on the sheet, that the Aaron listened and did what Moshe Rabbeinu told him to do. So, so the pre-tzadik says, why does the Torah mention that? Well, what's the great honor to say that Aaron Akoin did what Moshe Rabbeinu told him to do? But what else is he supposed to do? I mean, obviously he's going to do it when Moshe Rabbeinu tells him to to do. Makdiv shav v'lo yechol v'yishmat akol midaber ma diber elav v'alot chat haneirot v'hainu. He says, according to the Medrash, the way Medrash explains the Pasuk, the first Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu taught after the, the Mishkan or the, the Chanukat HaMizbeach was this mitzvah of Baalot Chata they wrote. That if it's this mitzvah of Baalot Chata they wrote, why? Why was this the mitzvah that was, that was taught? Riyad Shehukam HaMishkan Visham Mikon HaShraot HaShchina no, I skipped something here. Because one second, one second. Betziva balatchat anirot v'hu anyan adlakat amenorah hu sheyichyeb ba sheyiyeh ba beir li shehu bechinat or Torah shebealpe mitzad haadam. I think this is the the important. Let's just just, just translate that. Who bechinat Torah shebaalpeh beitzad haAdam? That the first mitzvah that Moshe Rabbeinu taught to Bnei Yisrael was this mitzvah of this mitzvah baalot chat aneirot. Now, why was this the first mitzvah that Moshe Rabbeinu taught to Bnei Yisrael? Because it was it was bechinat or Torah shebaalpeh. Mitzad Adam. This was light that comes out of the Torah Shalpeh that man himself is able to conjure up. In other words, <coughs> what does that mean? That according to Rashi, according to Rashi, when we learned the Rashi, that Aaron Akoin said, they left me out, I'm unhappy, I didn't do it, I didn't get, what is the, what is the answer to the Midrash? What is the answer to the Midrash? Shal Chagdolabi Shalahem. You're going to really be like the author. What is he with the author of? Okay, the vendor says Hanukkah, but forget about Hanukkah for a minute. You're going to light the candles. And what do the candles symbolize? The candles symbolize the Torah Shmalpeh Biyad Adam. What's the Torah Shmalpeh Biyad Adam that you're going to learn? That if you don't have a menorah, you can light a single candle like we do. The minute in front of the Aaron Kodesh is to light a candle or a light or a lamp or something so that the building doesn't burn down. Right? So we do that. We do that all the time. Who taught us that? 
Aaron Akoin. When did Aaron Akoin teach us that? When he, when he was fighting with Moshe Rabbeinu, he said, the Torah, the Torah is leaving me out. It's excluding me. I'm not getting a place. So along came Aaron Akoin. Along came Aaron Akoin and he, and he said, help me. Help me. So uh, Moshe Rabbeinu said to Aaron Akoin, there is this matter of the lights of the Beit HaMikdash, which, which symbolize that there's a light that comes out of this place that has nothing to do with me and nothing to do with what I teach. I teach you the Torah Shavistah plus Torah Shavalpeh, the Torah Shavistah. But the Torah Shavalpeh, the Torah Shavalpeh that creates a new understanding and a de facto position and, 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 and gives Aaron the, 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 uh, the time and the privilege to, uh, to be part of, uh, 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 part of the ongoing process of revealing the Torah that we learned from Balakha et Hanerot. And here on the sheet there's also a position of the Ditziv, I quoted the Ditziv, who says something quite similar. So you see that the invention, you could say, according to this pre the invention of the Torah Shmalpeh, not the Torah Shmalpeh that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to teach with Israel, but the invention of new insights, new understanding, new uh, a, a new thought, like what happens if there's no menorah, for example. That Torah Shmalpeh, that Torah Shmalpeh is uh, is the Torah Shmalpeh that Aaron Cohen was the primary author of. And that's what uh, what it means when it says, Shehu b'chinat or Torah Shabal Peh mitzad ha'adam. Not the Torah Shabal Peh that Moshe Rabbeinu taught B'nai Yisrael, but the Torah Shabal Peh mitzad ha'adam that you could deal with a difficult situation. You could figure out what you should do. And that was the invention, according to the Pritzadik, that was the invention of Moshe Rabbeinu. All the best. I'm <laughs> not <laughs>